you know, I could afford to take this class in the first place. I had the equipment to do so. That's something that I hadn't actually thought about until recently, and I, I hadn't realized just how lucky I was, but also it kind of wasn't luck either. I could afford the chance to be lucky. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Maddie Julik. She is a mixed-race Japanese artist working as a concept artist and illustrator at Wild Blue Studios. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, I'm Maddie, and as you guys introduced me, I'm a concept artist and illustrator at Wild Blue Studios. I'm also a worker owner there, so I share in responsibility for taking care of the company and running it. But um, my main role is, is as an artist and... It's my dream job, and it's really exciting. So the company itself is a freelance company, so we work as contractors for other larger video game companies. So we work with uh, Riot Games, uh, we've worked with Phoenix Labs, and with Proletariat, and you know other projects and uh, studios like that, which is really exciting because we get to move around and kind of be free agents and have a lot of control over our own jobs and contracts. So we take what we want, and we don't have to take anything else. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm so excited to get into that. But before we do, the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices and have you choose in between the two of them and then let us know why. All right. Awesome. Cool, cool. All right. I'll start us off. Who would you rather trust with your life? Archer from Archer or Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty? Oh, Archer all the way. <laughs> all the way. <laughs> all the way. <laughs> <laughs> no no hesitation archer immediately because well let me tell you why yes because rick sanchez will think that he can fix whatever terrible thing he did to me if he even wanted to fix it in like a different alternate universe right uh -huh. but maybe he can't at least with archer if i ingratiate myself to him a little bit he'll like figure it out he won't let me die Aww, the first time really around sweet. right <laughs> seems very sweet for archer yeah that's but, true but for yeah. both of them both of this is predicated upon the fact that they even care about me just a little bit. And that's the tricky part. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the point. <laughs> you think you could convince Archer more? <laughs> that's exactly it. It's like I could cross that threshold with Archer a little bit easier than I could with Grandpa Rick. Uh, good, that's a, good that's answer. a good idea. That's choice. a yeah. really good point. <laughs> Would you rather attend Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters from X-Men or UA High School from My Hero Academia? Ooh. Okay, now that's actually a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we got it. Uh, Finally, okay, we well, got here's one. the thing. Okay, maybe I'm like thinking too hard on this, but like, would I have like a D list X Men power? Let's say pretty, pretty average. Maybe like mm. B, B tier. Okay, then Boku no Hero for yeah. sure. I, I would definitely do. I would go to UA. Um, if you I even just, if you had like the same like comparable power even if I, okay so if i had like just like a baseline average power for like for either right i still think <laughs> mm -hmm. i would go to ua because then like i just feel like people would be nicer to me there i feel like at professor xavier's it's like <laughs> you think a, so? <laughs> a little bit too like british boarding school for me <laughs> but they have okay but they also have like the classes are in tears right you wouldn't mind that 
being like class class B or class C or whatever. Wait, mm-hmm. are the are the classes in UA in tears? No, I, I would. That just, well, here's this the thing. is all about the high school politics. Well, yes, this is a hundred percent about the high school politics of it. But it's also, I think, I could also take like extracurriculars if I went to UA. Like, I could also do like support classes, right? Like, so I have other options mm-hmm. other than being the average X Men girl and like getting mm-hmm. like just the average outfit. I could design my own outfit if I went to UA. That's true. They're oh, very, that's very true. <laughs> and so that's that's a sticking point for me. Can I design my own outfit? Yeah, yeah. You have to be yeah, you have to be somebody special. This is going to come up later, but I feel like this also plays into like just choices of school in general. Okay, well, thanks. Good answers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was in between. Hopefully, you had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, get to know me a little bit more. <laughs> you guys know me, yeah. but uh yeah, this is the tone that's going to happen for my interview. <laughs> so so maddie what is your role as a concept artist slash illustrator at wild blue studios so um i'm a junior artist which Mm -hmm. means that um i'm directed by and guided by our senior artists so i do uh a lot of contracts and I do have a lot of responsibility for getting those, you know, contracts done to the best of my ability. But I do have help from my seniors. And um, I guess what else do you guys, um, is there anything like specifically in this answer that you're looking for? Or I mean, you could talk about like what uh, your day to day is like, or yeah, it's just kind of like what your job is like. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. So my day to day, we have a small team of people. So every morning we have a meeting where we touch base and talk about what's on the agenda for the day, what's coming up, and whatever other things. Like, we just kind of lay out, like, what I'm supposed to be doing for the day, like, what I expect to have done by the end of the day, and we each go through and just kind of talk about that. And it's also just, you know, just to kind of chat and shoot the shit with each other every morning and just kind of, you know, come back together as a group. Mm -hmm. So then we work up until 2 p.m., which is when we have our group reviews, which is where we kind of all post what we've done in the past, you know, half of the day. And then we talk Mm. about it and we all critique and give feedback and help each other out. And so from then we just finish out our day with that in mind. So it's my whole day is very, very much about collaboration. Like there is not a single day I have at work, unless it's a really weird circumstance that I don't talk to anyone. Like we're always Mm. in constant communication all day long. That's really cool. Okay. So you actually got to do concept art. And you actually talked about this a little bit in the beginning in your intro, but you got to do concept art and illustrations for League of Legends, Dauntless, Spellbreak, and of course, there's some other projects that you've done that are probably NDA. Yeah. <laughs> but what has been, <laughs> but what has been your favorite thing about working like on these properties? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I well, I love uh the games themselves, but weirdly enough, more so than the games, I love working with the teams at those companies. Mm -hmm. because you know for for larger companies they're divided up into the people that you have contact with and that you that you work with so i love those teams i love those people because it's really fun to kind of you you develop a more like it's still you know strictly professional but it's you kind of develop a rapport with people and once you work with them long enough you can get a sense of like oh i i'm i know what they want to see like i know what's Mm going to make them happy Mm. Um, so when you work with someone long enough, it's it becomes easier, it becomes more fluid. And like, that's the part of the job that I really enjoy is like making the other team excited or happy so we can get excited about something together. 
And that's something I love, you know, the Spellbreak team and stuff, because, you know, they're so excited about their product. It's a newer game, and they're still, like, you know, developing, and, and they're really excited about their stuff. And it's kind of infectious when, when someone loves their project, and you can you can mm-hmm. tell when someone loves what they do. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, aside mm-hmm. from art, which is I love to do, I actually love interacting with with the people at those places. Mm-hmm. Do you notice if there's like a big difference uh, in your opinion between like the team that works at Spellbreak, like in-house uh, versus like Leo Legends, which is a much bigger, like more established company? And um, do you get to work kind of closely with them? Because you said you're a junior artist earlier. So are they expecting to give you lots of feedback and kind of guide you as you're going through the process? Yeah, so I um, I guess I don't really super want to get into specifics about the differences between the companies because I have, you know, limited contact, though I do have contact. Mm-hmm. Um, usually mm-hmm. most of our contact is facilitated through um, our production managers who are take mm-hmm. point on kind of, you know, client and art team like relationships. So they're they're there to make sure that feedback is received and that we're understanding the feedback and that they're understanding our process. So they're kind of mediators and they're responsible for those things. And our production managers are are incredible. Mm. And they are highly necessary and things of that nature. But to kind of answer your question a little bit more de- in depth, to me it is it is a little bit different, but this just this isn't just in specifics to um proletariat or, or riot games. It's I think for a smaller company it's mm-hmm. it can be like I don't want to say casual because that's that's not it, because you know they're they're also professionals and they know what they're doing. But it isn't as regimented, I guess. Mm. But again, I'm I'm not saying this specifically about those two companies. It's just as an overall general observation. Yeah, yeah, I, I meant for mm-hmm. in the question. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, smaller versus larger. Yeah, it, it does feel a little bit different, and um, because for a larger studio, it's you know, it's just a bit like here's the brief, bam, 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 bam. With mm. you know, with a smaller company, it it can be like that, but it's not as often as like we're sticking this into the pipeline stick it into the pipeline yeah yeah you get to see kind of those differences between the two the two companies but when when you're there and you're creating like these concept pieces for them uh what kind of runs through your mind like what do you try to get across when you're when you're creating art well i want to do something that's (laughs) i want to push them towards something that (laughs) i think is cool and unique Mm. Because even if they didn't ask for something, a client sometimes just doesn't know what they want until they see it, right? Like they didn't know right. that they wanted something until you give them the option. They might have something in their head specifically, but it's, you know, our job as concept artists to be like, okay, that, but also what about this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, when I get a brief like that, actually something that my studio does, and I, it seems a little bit on the nose for the theme of this podcast, but it kind of perfect <laughs> is like, you know, we never default to a white character, right? If it's like, you know, humanoid and that is a factor, right? Mm-hmm. We always kind of joke around that like we have like, if we have to, we'll have like one white guy in our lineup, right? <laughs> but only if we have to. Mm-hmm. And when we're working on this, like we're always trying to push away from like, Mr. DeWitt. You know what I mean? Like, not... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, I like white guys. Uh, many of them are my friends. Um, <laughs> 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 I, I I know many, and I respect many, and you know I I love them. But I and I think you guys will will fully agree where it's just 
there's enough of them around in the video game world. We have enough. And mm-hmm. so we, we actually make active decisions to try to guide clients to different options, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you'll get a character brief where the character has already gotten like an established race that isn't white. So mm-hmm. we will like respect and be specific to that race. Mm-hmm. But um, if it's if they don't have anything specified, then you're not gonna get white guy from us, like unless <laughs> unless you're putting your foot down on it, in which case we'll grumble about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a a really good mindset to have because. Mm-hmm. You know, classically for years, it was kind of the opposite where it was like, do they need to be like black? Do they need to be a different race? Like the default is white. Right. Exactly. Unless Mm -hmm. we need to fill like a POC quota, we're just going to do like a white guy. Like, uh, that's easy. Just put that in. But I think going the opposite way and and really stepping back and saying like, (laughs) no, we're going to put a put our foot down and like do the complete opposite. Like unless we absolutely have to. We're not going to put a white guy in. And like, maybe that sounds extreme to some people, but it's like, well, if you look at it the other way around, it was extreme the other way. So, yeah, yeah it's, exactly. you know, I, I know that. I don't see why that's a problem. <laughs> and the kind of like turnaround glib thing that people will sell is like, well, why does race matter? And, you know, that's a whole other conversation that could fill up, you know, a thousand podcasts of like the answer mm-hmm. to that absurd question. Right. Yeah. But you know, the question that, like, well, must they be white? Why is that important to the story, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you do come to that conclusion, if they, they must be white, like, cool, then it's, it's yeah, turned into the story. Cool. It, like, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, more, there's more gravity to it. I like the fact that your studio is making an active effort to diversify and have diversity. And to me, that's that's amazing to hear because I feel like it's one thing to say you want diversity is another thing to actively do it. And I feel like that's kind of where a lot of the industry is kind of teetering right now Mm -hmm. is they're wanting more inclusion, wanting more diverse voices and it's one thing saying it, it's another thing doing it. I'm happy to hear Wild Blue Studios is actively pursuing that. You know, we try our best and people are imperfect, but we try our hardest. And it's always something that's at the forefront of our minds when we're designing for clients, um, when we have a little bit more leeway. For things like uh, League of Legends, their characters are already pre-established. We don't have mm-hmm. any, you know, sway mm-hmm. over when we're doing stuff for them. That's, you know, it's usually not our purview, so we get what we get. But, mm-hmm. you know, when we're lucky enough to work with companies who are still developing um, skins or cosmetics or even characters, we can kind of give them some other options. And you want to push your client to explore the options within their own sandbox, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's our job as, as concept artists is to get them to consider as much as possible Mm -hmm. but you know sometimes the client wants what they want and you can't do much about it but i really feel like it's an ethical and moral obligation for us to be at least pushing Mm -hmm. and giving the option so for you how did you actually get involved with wild blue studios was this your first industry job out of school uh yeah this was my very first job and it's my only job actually that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I got it right at the tail end of my last year of uh, San Jose State, where I was going with you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took an extra, like a CGMA class that was run by uh, Mitchell Malloy. Is that, what is that, an uh, online class? Yeah, so CGMA is an online class kind of hub. Workshop type Yeah, style. workshop. Yeah, exactly. And I love, I love CGMA. But Mitchell Malloy was teaching a narrative illustration class, and I really wanted to take it because... You know, I learned so much through school, but, you know, I wanted to supplement. I wanted to, you know, get more. 
And um, he's, mm-hmm. you know, an incredible artist. So I was, I saw his work, you know, his Magic the Gathering stuff. And I was like, I gotta take this class. Like, please take my money. And I was lucky enough that my parents <laughs> were like, yeah, okay. Like, I'll friend you the cash, you know? Yeah. So um, <laughs> me and also, uh, well, Madison to Sarah, who you guys also know, took this class together. And we had an incredible time. And we learned so much from Mitchell. And then we ended up just kind of, you know, like after class, we kept in contact with him and then we all, you know, we became good friends. And I just, I should just call him Mitch. It's, I don't know why I'm saying Mitchell. We just, he just goes by Mitch. <laughs> Mitchell Boy <laughs> was starting Wild Blue, like just fresh with, you know, his friend and our production manager, uh, Eli Allen. Mm-hmm. And so then they were just like, we need a junior artist do you want a gig? And I was like, yes, please. I would love a gig because this was like, just as I, I had no plan. Like I had, I hadn't applied anywhere. I didn't have an internship lined up. So I was like, it totally fell in my lap. And I was like, yes, God, please. And so that was, you know, two, two and a half years ago now. And since then we've grown, but yeah, I was their first junior artist. And then Mads came on uh, very quickly after that. And I consider Mitch a very, very dear friend of mine, Eli as well. And so that's the beautiful story is I took a class and made a friend. Yeah, you can make a connection. You can make a network anywhere. Yeah, it's very important. Networking is Mm -hmm. very important. And I know that's something that like is kind of tough to hear, especially because networking is also kind of predicated upon, you know, a few levels of privilege even. You know, I could afford to take this class in the first place. I had the equipment to do so. Or like Mm -hmm. you can afford to go to, you know, CTN or things Mm -hmm. like that. And that's something that I hadn't actually thought about until recently when I was I was talking to a friend of mine about this and I I hadn't realized just how lucky I was but also it kind of wasn't luck either I could afford the chance to be lucky mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. but networking is is really really important it's who you know but more importantly it's who likes you like who you get along with mm-hmm. because like yeah. even if I know someone who's an incredible artist if I don't like them or if I don't think that they're a good fit or if I, you know, know some problematic stuff about them, it doesn't matter if they're a good artist. I'm going to recommend someone else. Yeah. If someone mm-hmm, were course. to ask me, like, hey, are they good for this job? Then it's like, no, I, they're a dick. Or, you know, <laughs> they're like they're a dick or they're, you know, impossible to work with. Or, you know, they they have a history of being a predator or things like that. Where it's just like, mm-hmm. no, I don't give a fuck how good you are at painting. Anyone could be good at painting with enough hard work and dedication. You're not special. We're moving on. You know, and there's so much of, you know, that, that bullshit in the industry with, you know, you know, white male artists, especially who are, you know, predatory or use their influence, um, especially through networking to take advantage of young students who don't know mm-hmm. or who think that they're getting a chance or their foot in the door. And so, you know, they'll be paid nothing or scraps and then have to endure like uncomfortable abuse. Mm-hmm. I keep getting off on tangents here, but. <laughs> Networking is important, but also it's fraught. Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of like touch back a bit about Wild Blue, you mentioned it briefly, how it's a co-op company, which is not common in this industry. Can you talk a bit more about being a work owner? Yeah. So um, being a worker owner means that I own part of the company, basically. And we don't have bosses. None of us benefit disproportionately off of the collective income that is made by the company. We all make our money proportionate to, you know, what we contribute. Mm -hmm. And we have senior artists. Mitch is our art director. 
And we have our senior concept artist, uh, Becca Halstead, who is incredible. I love them. Mm. Um, and then Forrest mm. Immel, who's also an incredible artist. So um, I do, you know, defer to them. I go to them for opinions. They have to, you know, it's their word before things go out the door. But they're not, you know, my boss. They're just there to make sure that the quality bar is where it should be or to help me if I need help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to be a worker owner, like we all share that that title. So we all get a vote on you know major decisions. And I also can't be fired without being voted because I own part of the company. I theoretically have to be paid out for my share. So mm-hmm. um, leaving, I I never would want to leave. I love my company, but it's it's mm-hmm. this is a different, a very different way of doing things. None of us are installed to be replaceable. It's not like an employee at some other place where it's just like you can get fired for, you know, whatever bullshit reason. Like it has to be a group decision or things like that. So it's there's a lot more power and there's a lot more agency to being a worker owner. And there's also a lot more like trust and reliance on your fellow worker owners. Like we're all in this together. And that sounds, you know, we're all in this. But like, but it's it's very true. Like I, I feel like a, an intense kind of loyalty to my fellow worker owners because we all share. No one's above me. No one's exploiting me. My, my opinion mattering is like written into our bylaws kind of thing mm-hmm. is like, that's, you know, our power. And um, so that's, that's really wonderful. And it's, it's really different. Hopefully the first of many. Yes, hopefully the first of many. And that's, yeah, we can, and maybe we can talk about this a little later, but um, we do have uh, quite a network of, you know, co-ops or people who want to start co-ops that we've kind of grown, you know, studios around in France and, you know, Canada and all over the place. And we, you know, have summits regularly and things like that. It's becoming more of a thing, um, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. And we were actually talking about it uh, before the podcast started, but somebody who we interviewed earlier, Latonya White, is actually working at uh, Serenity Forge, which is part of that co-op network. So yeah, it, yes. it kind of is another one of those, this industry is so small. Like Yeah, like, you know, like, we kind of cross paths with everyone and, you know, we all <laughs> share the same values um, about like, you know, workers' rights and unions and things like that. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so for, for you... How is that transition from being a student to like almost like immediately transitioning to your position as a junior artist at Wild Blue? Oh, that was tough. I was used to high stress from school, but it, it kind of was a different ball game where it was just like, oh, no, this is like for real now. <laughs> so it, it was it was a tough transition. And, you know, I cried and all this stuff. And luckily, like Mitch was there and he was like, it's going to be OK. Like, I'm here with you. I I'm going to help you like nothing bad is gonna happen so I was really fortunate to have him there with me but like I would cry over like doing like a thumbnail for an illustration because I didn't know like you know a lot of how to I didn't know how to do it or like I wasn't I was just so anxious about it so I'd like you know Mm -hmm. go to my dad's desk and I'd cry under it for like an hour and then I'd call Mitch and I'm like I don't know what to do and he's just like I'll show you what to do it's gonna be okay (laughs) so you know it it is really stressful like and it's really anxiety inducing because you you know I wanted to do a good job like I wanted to prove myself that I was like a worthy investment right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mitch is wonderful and he always impressed upon me it's like no one's gonna die if this isn't perfect like no one's life is in danger if it's not perfect it's not perfect (laughs) but like I mean, obviously, we strive for the highest quality that we can. Like, that's important. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's at the end of the day, it's it's an illustration. 
and you can learn from it. And if you tried your hardest on it, then you tried your hardest and it's no one's going to die. Like, it's going to be all right. Like, you know, we're not surgeons. <laughs> like, it's going to be OK. I think that's something that like for students, especially if it's your first job, everything can be really over- overwhelming. You just you want to be perfect. You want to do the best you can be. But many studios give you a grace period. Many studios help you transition and everybody, your coworkers are there to help and assist you to achieve. No one at any studio is setting you up for failure. Everybody working with you, the people that hire you want to set you up for success. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like probably the toughest lesson that I learned early on was ask for help. That was like the hardest lesson that and one of the most important lessons is like Mm -hmm. being able to ask for help and knowing that no one's expecting, you know, you to pop out the pussy painting Mozart, you know, like, (laughs) like, like, you know, that's everyone remembers what it was like to start out, you know, like even the veterans, like, you know, the super experienced, you know, way up masters, like they fucking remember what it's like. Art is hard. Mm -hmm. Like the industry is hard. Entertainment's hard. Kind of going back to the topic about entertainment. We haven't had too many people in the video game industry on this podcast yet, and we're hoping to get more. But can you talk about how it is working in the video game side of the animation industry that the average person may not know? Ooh, that's a great question. So video games take a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Like animation does too, but like it takes a ton of work and no one really sees how many hours goes into that thing the intensity of like the pipelines and how to organize these things and meeting deadlines and i think the average person or consumer may not know or remember that human beings are making this product (laughs) (laughs) and it takes a lot of work Mm -hmm. and um if your game isn't perfect you know god forbid and then people get death threats like, you know, like mm-hmm. 3D modelers will get death threats about like a clunky game animation. And it's like, people it's don't them. understand. I didn't even do that. <laughs> people don't understand how the hierarchy of decision making happens. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like people have an impression that like, you know, an, an artist mm-hmm. or, you know, someone who does rigging or animation or effects. It's as if they are the arbiter of the, co- like each of them are just the ones who are making these executive decisions. And it's like, no when you're a when you're a worker you you're not making these decisions when you're working at you know a large company making these tri- huge triple a games mm-hmm. it's it comes down from on high and you do it or you're fired and mm-hmm. that's that's the name of the game and i think people who aren't you know in the industry people don't know how decision making happens when when yeah. people are making products and that's the thing that makes me insane <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I think that's very true. I think I I like the fact that you said that people need to remember that there's human beings working on these projects. I think oftentimes you just see the art, you see the the game and you either think about the good stuff or the bad stuff and then you don't realize people put their time, blood, sweat and tears into these projects and sometimes I feel oftentimes when it's bad, that's when people look at them and but when it's good they they go unnoticed which kind of sucks exactly and that's you know and if you if you ask anyone who works in in video games or in triple a um like you know crunch has become kind of a a buzzword now that's that's talked about a lot where it's like you know Mm -hmm. working you know 80 80 hour weeks you know no no breaks no sleep like just to meet a deadline 
and mm-hmm. then it comes out and then people are like, oh, like, you know, they phoned it in, you know, people hate it or whatever. And mm-hmm. then it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ, guys, like you are making people like do insane amounts of work and you turn your nose up because, you know, the subsurface scattering isn't as elegant as you wanted it to be. And, and it, it's it's crazy. And if you ask anyone who, who works in the industry and myself included, like I would rather have a game come out three years late if everyone was just working a 40 hour week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that's the amount of time it takes for people to work like a 40 hour week and to be able to go home and live their lives and not, you know, destroy their bodies and their brains making a game, then yeah, I'll wait three more years. It'll be a better game and people won't have been destroyed to make it. It seems like a no-brainer to me, where it's like, yeah. you know, people go insane if things are pushed back. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, push it back. Christ, take as long as you need. God, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But on a on a more positive note, Wild Blue streams on Twitch every Wednesday and offers free portfolio reviews each month. It's something that both Yuki and I would highly recommend any artist who are ready to break into the industry to take advantage of that free education like this. Sorry, I don't know why this sounds like such an advert. It's not an advert. But um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, is there is there anything you have learned from reviewing uh, these portfolios? Oh, God, I learned so much from reviewing portfolios, especially because I've got my my senior artists there who are also, you know, critiquing these things. And so I hear things where I'm like, oh, that's a thing too. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of hard to keep your confidence up all the time when you're an artist. And some, we've all got mm-hmm. some days where it's like, I don't know shit about shit. No one asks me shit because I don't know. But, you know, when reviewing portfolios, there's sometimes where I'm reminded, I'm like, oh, I do know some things. I know some mm-hmm. things. <laughs> um, but I have learned maybe specifically from reviewing portfolios. And it kind of seems like a no brainer, but it's something that has, that comes up in like almost every portfolio we review is curating your portfolio and getting rid of things like mercilessly nothing in your portfolio should be like over two years old focus on quality over quantity we don't want student work we've reviewed portfolios that are literally just two or three pieces but they're bangers like they're good Mm -hmm. pieces and i would rather see a portfolio like that than a portfolio that's got you know like 30 projects on ArtStation, and they're all eh. And mm-hmm. if you've got like good pieces, those good pieces will be dragged down by the presence of a piece that doesn't meet that quality bar. Get mm-hmm. rid of it. Be really, really merciless and kill your darlings when you're making your portfolio. If it's not good, put it in, put it on your Twitter, put it on your personal sketch blog, but not in your portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's also like a little lesson just in general. It's something I learned all throughout college. It's something that I learned in my internships and even in my job is that no piece of art is precious. Everything, especially in storyboarding, everything is disposable. Oh, Don't yes. get attached. It's going to get rewritten. It's going to get redone. It's going to be redrawn. Always put your best foot forward in your portfolios because when you do have a bad piece or a piece that isn't up to par with your other amazing pieces, it makes whoever's reviewing your portfolio kind of question your decision making of like, why would you put that in? And you don't exactly. want them to, you don't want them to question the way you think or your thought process because they want to, they want to like you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And here's another thing that I think might be a little bit more specific to concept art, which might be a little bit more like sexy and interesting to talk about. <laughs> We're talking about <laughs> portfolios. 
and I'm taking this advice directly from um, our senior concept artist, again, Becca Halstead, who is the most wonderful angel of a person and also an mm-hmm. incredible artist. But when you're doing concept art, what real concept art is, what true concept art is, isn't the sexy, painted, finished robot lady with no pants, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's not concept <laughs> art. That is a finished illustration of a concept, but that is not the concept art itself. When companies like ourselves or anyone else is looking for concept art, it's that thought process like show me your thought process like i want to see thumbnails i want to see how you get from point a to point b because you didn't pull this character straight out of your ass Mm -hmm. and if you Mm -hmm. say that you did you're lying it just didn't happen Mm -hmm. like if so if you're designing a character i want to see you know your your starting thumbnails you just your shapes and then how you move through that process like show me how the thing works show me how your brain works because when someone's hiring a concept artist you're hiring their brain more so than you're hiring their hand like you know obviously you want them to be good but anyone with enough skill and dedication as i said before can paint right it's just it's a skill like anything else but Mm -hmm. to train your brain to think like a hyper creative good concept artist is incredibly tough so yeah so that's a concept art tip is show me your thumbnails um you can also show me your sexy painting at the end that's fun and gratifying (laughs) but real concept art the concept art that you will get hired for is your thought process that's mm-hmm. great advice. I think when you were uh, taking CGMA also, you I remember you came back one day and you were like, oh, being an illustrator is different from being a visive, like a concept artist. Do you think that's important for students to like make that distinction? Like oh if my they God, want to focus yes. on one or the other? Yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. Don't make my mistakes. And I think that's a, um, <laughs> a misconception that's super common in, in, in students or entry level mm-hmm. artists or, you know, people who are just starting out. Because I didn't know the goddamn difference between concept art and like illustration as as mm-hmm. I thought it was um, until I started working. Because what is kind of put out as as concept art as like uh you know let's say like the Last of Us environment you know quote unquote concepts which look like these beautiful paintings right mm-hmm. that's an illustration that's not concept art it's just kind of put out there for some reason so an illustration is the presentation of the final idea or the Mm -hmm. final narrative. It tells a story. Mm -hmm. And concept art is building the pieces of that story, but it's not finished. Like, here is the narrative. Here's what we're telling you with this piece. So concept art is, you know, I I know photo bashing is kind of controversial, and I don't know why. Uh, Can you quickly explain what photo bashing is, just in case some students might not know? Oh, yes, I'll explain it. So photo bashing is when you cut apart photographs, like pre-existing photographs, and you kind of Frankenstein them together to create a space for concept art. So for example, like, um, I want to paint a forest, I want this specific kind of tree, I'm going to find a photo of the tree, cut it out, slap it in there you know, put some like maybe some brushwork over it. And that's controversial because it doesn't feel like you're being honest about your art. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's best if you take your own pictures and you don't steal a photographer's work or things of that nature. But that's that is extremely standard for high volume exploration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And often that stays internal. It's, you know, very rare that that's put out as promotional work because it's it's really just you're just communicating an idea. You're yeah. just doing a like a visual PowerPoint all in one where it's just like, what about this tree? No. What about this tree? No. You know, mm-hmm. that's what photo bashing is. And there's also skill to it that takes, you know, to make a good photo bash that gets your message across. It's not a dirty word. It's 
it happens it doesn't make you less of an artist it doesn't make you dishonest like your your art director knows it's a photo bash you're not fooling anyone but the purpose of it isn't being like look at i did this illustration it's just like no i had this idea so it really seems like you're doing really well in in your career it seems like you really learned and grew a lot in your current position but to kind of like think back to when you were a student did you feel like you benefited when uh, from your education at San Jose State? Why or why not? I think I did, and I think I I think it also taught me some toxic habits at the same time. I am super grateful, mm-hmm. and I I still credit like you know many of the professors at San Jose State for like the fundamentals that I knew. Like I I, I didn't have you know there's incredible professors there, and if if I didn't have you know their teaching, I wouldn't be nearly as you know. <laughs> it sounds like a self gas to say skilled but you know i am a professional and i mm-hmm. i know what i'm doing at least for, you know to a certain degree and because you are, of, because skilled. you know th- yeah. because they taught me and outside of that i think you know and this i don't think is necessarily specific to san jose i think it's kind of endemic throughout many like art schools mm-hmm. is that you learn bad habits and bad outlooks on on what it is to be an artist right like working insane hours pulling all-nighters thinking that like if you don't like spend, you know, slavish amounts of your time and energy on art, then you, you know, you, you don't deserve it or you don't want it enough or that, you know, the amount of likes on social media means anything. It's just a really toxic environment that you learn early on that I think, you know, is again, isn't unique to, to our school, but existed there mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's just, you know, work yourself to death or else you're not a real artist. And that's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. And, you know, and it's a shame because that that persists in our industry. There are still professionals who think like that and who are, you know, who put themselves above others because, you know, they ruin their bodies. And it's like, well, good for you, man. Have fun with your shitty life. You know, it's like it's like, yeah, you really beat me, dude. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think self-care is very important in that sense, because you're saying how like it is very common. And I think it's not specific to our school. I think it's any art school and for other people that I've talked to is that like, oh, man, I, I pull two all-nighters in a row and they kind of wear it like a badge of honor. It's like, no, dude. Yeah. And we get all some used rest, to do that. Man. Like we did. We did. Yeah. All of us. All of us have done it. I've said those words to you, Ray. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think it's it's crazy. It's common. I think it's important for people to know that no art assignment is worth killing yourself over the no. the importance yeah. of school and this is something i had to let go like in my first uh first two years is that i was so worried about the grade that i wasn't focused on what i was learning like i, yes. I should have been more focused on yes. what what i was yes. getting from the class the knowledge from the class because the thing is like your knowledge and your mileage are never going to sync up you're always going to know more than uh than how because for me i my mileage is still catching up to my knowledge yeah it's your yeah your or your taste level right yeah it's like you know what looks good and you know you theoretically mm-hmm. know how to get there but you know your hand hasn't caught up yet Ah, uh, the yeah. struggle <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think that's something that especially students are in high school that are going to go to college or university or art school wherever you're going to go what should matter first is the knowledge you get not the grade yeah yep i guess i guess another thing kind of like what made you decide san jose state uh public you know university over something like a private art school oh this is a great question um and we actually talked about this on um the wild blue podcast uh last week 
So I'm glad you asked this question. <laughs> I think, you know, state programs like San Jose State are incredible. And I know that there's, you know, uh, Long Beach and, and a couple of others that do the same thing is, you know, because they you can get a quality education without paying through the nose, like to go to, you know, a private art school. You can get the same thing. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I loved... And the thing that like my, you know, my parents actually pushed for that they wanted me to go to a like a university and not like a private school was to get like a more well-rounded education, like take a geology mm-hmm. class, you know, minor, in, mm-hmm. you know, humanities. And so you learn other things. So you can become a more well-rounded person and like in mm-hmm. general. And also you can learn things that will facilitate better art. Yeah. Of All course. of these things kind of work together because. If your understanding of of art and and culture comes from the front page of Art Station, then that's how we get this, you know, nearly in, incestuous reproduction of the same kind of boring art over and over and over again, because mm-hmm. no one's looking at all of the neat shit that's out there that isn't mm-hmm. on, you know, on conceptart.org. Mm-hmm. There's a million cool things that you can learn, like take an acting class. Turn your art brain off for point, like 0.5 seconds. It will do you good. Mm-hmm. Like get a different hobby. It's so mm-hmm. much healthier to like have that chance to study different things. And that's why I, I really am a huge proponent of if, if you choose to go to school for art, which I also don't think is necessary, especially now, which is great. But if you mm-hmm. do choose to go, I'm a huge, huge proponent of, you know, going to a university and, you know, not to shit on anyone who's in private art school or, or doing it like, you know, all the more power to you. Mm-hmm. You know, your choice is your choice. If you if you want to go to Cal Arts and that's your dream, then far be it for me to stand in your way. But I really do think that it's super beneficial to go to uh, a university so you can get all of those other skills. You know, archery. Yeah. Who'd have thought? You know, <laughs> yeah. fencing. Or, but also meeting people outside of the art. You know, world. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when you're so caught up in this, it's. <laughs> I mean, you guys understand it becomes your whole life, right? And that's your only social circle. But so you don't know a lot of people outside of it. But it's so important to know people who don't do art yeah. all the time, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, my best friend is an engineer and uh, she went actually she ended up going also to San Jose State, completely unrelated to me. But it's really cool talking to her because I'm like, oh, a like normal person who isn't an art student, but we have enough of a history where we can like just talk about stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, It's really refreshing. Mm -hmm. Like people who are artists are very cool people. But they're also a very specific culture. We're all weird as fuck. We're just we're all weird as we're hell. All yeah, weird. And like some of us are like weird babies. Like my best friend, um, she's an incredible writer. Oh man, that's amazing, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so you you can learn so much from from other folks. You know, one of my other friends is you know she does environmental work, and mm-hmm. my god, she knows a lot about plants, and she's just dope. Like, yeah. like so much stuff that I don't know. You know. You think you're smart until you meet someone who knows, you know, everything about the thing you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think yeah. it's it's really healthy um, to expand your horizons. And I, I would argue that it's necessary to not yeah. only be a better artist, but to be a better person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm totally about that. Personal or professional, do you feel like your culture plays a role in the art that you create? I know you talked a bit about diversity and that's one of the things that Wild Blue Studio does, but how do you reflect on that for yourself? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, uh, you know, uh, being 
you know, mixed in, in Japanese is, is kind of interesting and fun because there's so much um, interest in, in, I mean, anime. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, let's be real, like, Japanese culture, that understanding of it is almost inextricable from <laughs> not only entertainment, but, you know, just media in general. Mm-hmm. And, and with that comes... <sighs> a lot of stuff and a lot of misconception um not only of japanese culture but also mm-hmm. what things mean and yuki you'll understand this the the eternal kind of frustration with like you see like a drawing and the kimono is wrapped the wrong way mm. um and for those of you who don't who don't know um if you're wrapping a kimono it has to be a certain way and if you do it the opposite way it's um it means that you're dead. You're gay. That's how. They, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's you know it's past. <laughs> it's a simple enough mistake, and also um, I I try to give a benefit of the doubt because if you flip your drawing, it's also gonna be flipped. So if you just make the last minute decision where it's like, oh, the face looks better this way, um, mm-hmm. then the kimono will be fucked up. So sometimes you forget. But small things like that or, you know, understanding samurai shit and just the kind of fetishization of, of those things and also misunderstanding Japan's role in a lot of <laughs> fascist colonial history. Right. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, mm-hmm. also a huge problem, which is the the kind of reckless and disrespectful um, understanding of the differences between cultural aesthetics in clothing and in, you know, politics and culture between, you know, East Asian countries specifically like China and Korea. And that is fraught with some geopolitics. Um, So Mm -hmm. you see people kind of just slapping together all of these elements and it's just like, Oh yeesh. So you're not really considering the like erasure of Korean culture while they were being occupied by Japan. And this is like an absurd representation of that visually. That's just out of ignorance. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess, to return to the actual point, I have designed like you know <laughs> Japanese inspired or specific uh, characters or skins and stuff. So what I do know is is small things like which way the kimono should be cut, like what does this color mean, like what does this piece of clothing actually mean and do. So I I can bring that to the table. I don't know everything. I'm not the arbiter of all things Japanese. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that's kind of another pressure that we face as um, POC in the industry is that we're also expected to be the representation of an entire group of millions of people, um, <laughs> and we'll all dis- you know, and we'll all disagree on things of you know what is appropriation, what is respectful versus disrespectful. So something that bothers me may not bother you, for example, Yuki, or mm-hmm. or someone else, and you know mm-hmm. that's that's also kind of fraught because what my opinion is one opinion and I have a unique perspective on a lot of things, but mine is not the only one and also not the only one that's valid. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a good mindset to have though, going in and being like something as simple as flipping a drawing or accidentally like putting the kimono the wrong way. There can be similar things in other cultures and to just be aware of that and thinking of that and saying to yourself, like, Am I drawing uh, these patterns in the correct way? Am I like, do they wear this certain piece of jewelry only on their left hand? Like stuff like that. that right. And it, you know, it might not seem like a big deal, but, but if it important. is in your culture and, and, and you're like, mm-hmm. this keeps happening to me and like it keeps right. happening in all of these kimono drawings, what could happen in like a Southeast Asian drawing or like anything inspired by a different culture and just being aware that. Yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. we have Google at our fingertips. We have all the information of the world in- available to us instantly. So, like, it makes me, like, a little bit insane because I'm just like, you don't even need to read a book nowadays. Just look up what this means. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, someone does. Like, you know, look it up. If you if you don't know if this 
cut is appropriate or you don't know what this symbol means, like, you know, Christ Almighty, just figure it out, you know, <laughs> like you can, yeah. and it takes no time. And it just takes like a little bit of forethought and, you know, thinking ahead and, and it just takes a little bit of research. Like, don't trust what you see on Pinterest as what is true and appropriate, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, damn. <laughs> yeah. What final advice would you have for students that want to pursue a career in the video game industry? Oh, this is just going to sound cheesy and like a cop out, but like, I really do mean it where it's just like, never give up. It's so hard. It's so hard and you will hit so many milestones, especially if you're a person of color, especially if, you know, you're a woman or if you're, you know, LGBTQ, like, you know, I'm, I'm queer myself and, you know, these things can make things exponentially harder than they need to be. But like, your voices are necessary, like not only wanted, Mm -hmm. but necessary, right? And absolutely don't give up. (laughs) We all need each other. It's a hard gig and it'll never be easy. And having the thing you love be your career is, 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 and can be really painful, but sleep and don't give up are my two pieces of advice. Get some sleep and never give up. Going to sleep. Isn't giving up. Go the fuck to sleep. Start again tomorrow. Excellent advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you guys. Yeah, where can our audience find you? And is there anything you want to plug? Oh yeah, um, I'm gonna plug so much. So um I am <laughs> <laughs> again, I'm Maddie Julik. You can find my art station, um, also Maddie Julik. I am on Twitter as uh, Milky Beverage. Um, my studio is Wild Blue Studios, and you can also find um us on Art Station under Wild Blue Studios. Uh, we're on Twitter as well, same name. And um, as Ray mentioned before, we do Twitch streams every Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. PST. So uh, you guys can join us. We talk about art. We talk about being a co-op. We shoot the shit and talk about Dragon Ball Z and how hot Goku is and Yu-Gi-Oh! Yes. And whatever <laughs> comes up. And we we answer any questions. Um, we do portfolio reviews the first Wednesday of every month and they're totally free all you have to do is um, apply and I guess um, Ray and Yuki I can give you a link to that application if you guys have like a notes bar under this podcast so yeah so I I can give that uh, that link uh, to apply Um, we try to get to everybody totally free and we'll review your portfolio and try to help you um, get going in the right direction to meet your goals Mm -hmm. and um any skill level doesn't matter if you're you know student like literally just starting out professional doesn't matter we take all kinds um we want to help everybody catch me on twitch you might be able to see my face and hear my voice and you know meet you know mitch and becca and forest and mads and chris and eli my homies (laughs) so hang out with us follow us on twitter um follow me on twitter and uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. I had such a blast. I've been smiling the whole time. Cause it's so, it's, yeah, it's been really cool to talk to you guys. Uh, it's been such a pleasure having you. Yeah, e- extremely. I love watching the, the Wild Blue streams on Twitch, actually. It's a really cool time. I am not an illustrator or or concept artist of any kind, but I really enjoy like watching you guys draw and uh, give out great uh, nuggets of information and inspiration. So... If you enjoyed our interview with Maddie, please rate us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at straightaheadap and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, Bye everyone.